Hey, Video Insiders, welcome to your podcast. This is Carlos Pacheco. And this is Tom Martin. And this is the Video Insiders Podcast. What's the word on the street this week, Carlos? The word on the street is daylight savings messes with your schedule, <laughs> with, your, with your energy. <laughs> How did I know it was going to be something to do with like the moon or the stars or weather? You're like yeah. the Canadian Meteorological Society or something. I, I did my best not to make it about the weather today, this week, <laughs> but it's been a rough week trying to get up at your regular time uh, this week because, you know, like obviously we had daylight savings. It's great. That means spring is coming, but it always sort of messes you up. Yeah, I was um, I was actually in uh, San Diego on the weekend and um, woke up, thought I'd had a really good solid eight hours sleep but then obviously i didn't know that it was daylight savings time so i actually had an hour less sleep than i thought and i'm Uh-oh. back in london now still a little bit jet lagged but um pushing through pushing through yeah yeah how are you doing yes very very well thank you um busy busy lots of client work coming in which is very positive and then some of the bigger projects that i'm working on um taking a lot longer um, but last night I had an absolutely billion dollar idea. Well, maybe not a billion dollar, idea, a million dollar idea. And, uh, <laughs> it kept me up for a couple of hours. So I'm very excited about it. And, uh, really? maybe I'll tell you about it in a couple of years <laughs> <laughs> when I'm sitting on a beach and I've already sold it. So it's, it's, it is YouTube million? related. It is okay. YouTube related. Um, so maybe I'll speak about it in the future. It's very exciting. That's awesome. Looking forward to hearing, hearing more. Such a tease. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Got to leave them wanting more, Carlos. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about something that is actually a huge, huge business on uh, YouTube, but very much industry side, wouldn't you say, Carlos? Something that people like us know all about it. We know it inside out, but the everyday folk, um, probably not so much. Yep. The only time they'd hear about something like Content ID, which is what we're talking about today, and uh, YouTube CMS, is when they've had some kind of claim against one of their videos. In fact, today I woke up to an email from, um, I guess you could call him an influencer, mm-hmm. who has a YouTube channel, not a huge YouTube channel, but kind of just you know finding his feet on YouTube. And he's had a couple of his videos claimed by a couple of incidental kind of background songs that he had in the video. And um mm-hmm totally unaware of how the process works and uh, so i just sent him a couple of links so it doesn't have to be complicated but i think it just highlights that most people just don't know that there's a whole ecosystem running in the background of youtube that they don't have access to and very few people are actually privy to yeah content idea is a big mystery for 99.9 percent of the users on on youtube i was listening to this awesome podcast it's called the recode decode podcast with kara swisher and she was talking with susan wajinski and we were just talking about the numbers again it's like i keep forgetting that YouTube's basically the size of Facebook when it comes to users. Like the number is like 1.9 billion now. So there's a big number of people using this platform and there's a lot of content creators out there that just do not understand what what's happening with their content. And anybody that has a CMS, YouTube content manager, on a daily basis gets comments or gets pushback from a creator who thinks that they've uploaded content and don't realize that there's music on it that doesn't belong to them and that the artist has to take their rights and claim that music. Yeah, this is such a deep and rich topic and one we think that is going to be, you know, old news to a few of you, but 
you know, brand new to a lot of listeners out there. So we're going to be talking about the content ID system and YouTube CMSs today. But before we do, we have a massive thank you uh, for our sponsor, TubeBuddy. Thank you, TubeBuddy, for being the ultimate YouTube certified tool to help you grow your YouTube channel. TubeBuddy has so many features that I really, really love. Uh, one of the ones that I want to talk about this time is the create very specific embeds of your videos. I mean, you can set up embeds that are specific to let videos loop, auto hide the, the play bar, all the things that many people who handle video and embed their videos, they're always like, oh, why is this happening? Why is there suggested videos? Why is the play button this way? Well, TubeBuddy offers you that tool to help you set up a different kind of embeds with your videos. Yes, thank you, TubeBuddy. And if you haven't tried out TubeBuddy yet, you can do so and also get an exclusive discount by visiting our unique link at videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy. Thank you too, buddy. Right. So we need to start, I think, from the very, very top here, Carlos, because there will be some people in the audience that this is not uh, new to, but I think we need to cover the basics first. Mm -hmm. So before we get into what is a CMS, I'd say to you, what is Content ID? Well, Content ID is the function that YouTube allows for content owners to control and manage their rights on the platform. The easiest example is you are Sony Entertainment and the, you made the, the movie Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and a bunch of fans and other people have uploaded the full movie onto their YouTube channels. Well, if Sony is doing things right, they have put a copy of the movie on their content ID system, and it is picking up and identifying any piece, any section of that movie. It creates what they almost call like a fingerprint match of yeah. all the frames from the movie. I don't know if exactly, and I never sort of like really investigated this, but I think you need to have like something like over five seconds or around 10 seconds of a clip before it gets picked up. But that is different depending on the content. I know that with music is, is actually much more precise, but uh, yeah, it just basically controls your ownership, your assets. YouTube calls it assets. When you upload a piece of content, video, music video, a uh, piece of music, you call it an asset. And that asset starts picking up anybody who's pirated that piece of content. And it can be mixed up. You can create like a mashup video and they'll still pick it up. One of the best examples that I see on the music side of things is there's a lot of people streaming their video games and they're letting music play in the background. And the content ID picks it up and takes ownership of that video because said video game player doesn't realize that the music they're listening to is what's causing the content ID. Yeah. And I think it's also important to clarify that when you're a content owner, the asset doesn't have to be public yeah so sony don't have to make their copy of into the spider-verse public in order to protect it they can run it in the background as basically just as a fingerprint and what also happens is sony will then have the option what to do once a match is made so let's say that carlos uploads his top 10 spider-man moments from um 
all different Spider-Man movies throughout history, and it includes a clip from Spider-Verse. Um, that will that get claimed by Content ID pinging against Sony's fingerprint, and then Sony will set a policy at the top level which says, if you find a match, here's what you do. And then it will tell YouTube to either monetize, so run ads against that video, and Sony will make the money. They can block, which will mean the video is then unavailable on the platform, or they can track, in which case the video is allowed to still run, but it will not um, serve any ads against it, and it will just collect data, basically, and views. Uh, just out of coincidence, Carlos, have you ever seen anyone using a, a content ID track policy? And Yes. Is there anyone what what is the use case for that i've never really thought about it or seen it in action uh, i actually used it when we were evaluating libraries somebody would come to us and we'd be thinking about doing content id for them or buying their assets we would just set up a track policy and the track policy doesn't ping the uploader it just tracks oh. so so it's like a ghost claim almost Ah, okay. Yeah, it's like a ghost claim and you sort of like pay attention to the analytics. Let's just say you're a content distributor or somebody who's building a bunch of assets on YouTube and you want to see if said library is worth your time. You can create those assets, start claiming and only tracking and then, you know, basically seeing how many people are pirating it, if there's actually interest around it and all that sort of stuff. Really, really interesting. Uh, and then... Obviously, sometimes the user whose video it is will push back. And this is where the CMS really comes into its own. So we've established what content ID is. Carlos, what is the CMS and what does CMS stand for? CMS stands for the Content Management System. YouTube's been calling it more of a content manager at this point, but it's essentially a dashboard very similar to the YouTube dashboard, just with extra tools on it. You have your content ID section, you have your reporting section, you have your content delivery section, because you don't upload content the same way you upload on a YouTube channel. And I'm going to say this with a very French accent because I can't help it, but analytics section. <laughs> I've never heard that word <laughs> said that way before. I've known you for years, Carlos, and I did not know yeah, sure. that you said analytics that way. And if I'd known, I'm not sure I would have started a podcast with you. I've got to be honest. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Basically, the content manager allows you to see how all your assets are performing as well with that. Analytics and also control all your assets on a very sort of like very granular level with metadata that is specific to assets. It's it's very different from a regular YouTube metadata. You know, you have very different layers of metadata. There's ownership metadata. When it comes to music, there's all these codes that you have to put in like ISRCs, artist names, song, record label, UPC, all these things that are very specific to music that all becomes part of the asset on uh, on a content ID system. So basically it's a a placeholder for all of your 
assets, all of your channels, so you can combine channels within a CMS. And we'll talk a bit a bit more about yes. that in a second. But let's go back to our content ID example. I'm Sony. You've uploaded a clip of Spider-Verse. And then you say, sorry, buddy, I'm using this under fair use. Throwback to episode seven, where we spoke to Ashcan from... Uh, watch mojo where we talk all about fair use so go check that out so you come back and you say sorry bud i totally dispute this claim i don't think you do have the right to monetize my video what then happens in your dashboard and what options do you then have so what you see on your dashboard is there is a section under content id that says to do's which tell you what's happening, what you need to take care of right away, because there's people that are conflicting your claims that say they own this asset and they can own it in a different level. They can own it on, you know, in a specific country, a specific section and all those sort of things. But yes, essentially you get a conflict of ownership and then you have to make a decision based on your rights as to if you want to let it go or if you want to release that claim, or you want to go to the next steps and take full ownership, you know, sort of refuse the counterclaim. And that's when things, you know, go back to the uploader to sort of make the decision if they want to push it further. One thing over here is that the fair use example is where things get, you know, muddy and that we're not going to sort of jump into the legality of that. But for the most part, I would say 99% of the issues and back and forth I've dealt with have hardly anything to do with fair use. It's always people who don't understand that they've taken a piece of content and put it into their videos without changing it, without doing anything to it. And then thinking that just because they recorded themselves dancing in a wedding, that it's their original content. It is in a way, but at the end of the day, there's you know music behind it. And whenever you deal with music, it's just you have to take ownership of it but yeah that's how things work and so there can be some back and forth there can be some disputes but at some point correct me if i'm wrong it becomes almost like a legal matter so at some point it escalates to where you're making kind of um legal not threats but you're taking like a legal stance and saying you know i kind of hereby grant that i have the legal right to do this and can you just talk a bit about that escalation point or where it can escalate to and where it usually kind of people just back down well it can escalate to a point where you're having a back and forth a direct back and forth with the uploader or the owner because of my experience my experience has been much more in the side of you know other networks who are taking ownership of assets and where you just get in touch with them and everybody's sort of like being nice to each other and and trying to clear things up. But what also often happens is that nobody has like a clear, you know, sort of, hey, I own this and I have paperwork and stuff like that, right? Everybody sort of like plays this game of like, okay, well, we need to figure this out and uh, talk with our legal team and our rights team to see, you know, what kind of rights we have. And when it comes to the creator side of things, at the end of the day, like, Companies that own content are the ones that are going to be able to to bring this to a legal matter and make this a little bit more serious. And one of the things that I always sort of tell people who are dealing with content ideas, like, are you willing to spend money with a lawyer to fight this? Because that's the only way you're going to get 
further with this. And, you know, when a lawyer gets in and this in, you know, seven, eight years of doing this, I've never had to deal with legal bringing that far. But that's the back and forth at the end of the day ends up being trying to explain to the creator or uploader that this piece of content is not yours. If you did something to change it, that's a different matter. But yeah, it's that's sort of like the, the back and forth that I deal with. Yeah, I think you're right. And just to kind of clarify from my experience, and again, I don't think I've ever seen it get to the point where kind of papers were filed, but I think it gets to the point where the final option is... Uh, and it may have changed, is that YouTube basically says, at this point, there is no more time for back and forth. And you basically have 30 days to file legal papers in the state of California to basically put this to bed. And I think that's usually where the rubber hits the road. So if it's a really big, serious issue, this is where it goes to court. Probably, you know, the, the likes of um, Duke in Media against... Um, Ray William Johnson, that's probably like one of the biggest examples of a case like that. But I'd say most of the time, either the creator backs down under fear of legal action or the content owner realizes that this is just not worth the time, expense and resource to put this matter into the law courts, especially if you're not based in the US, let alone California. Exactly. Um, But the CMS has other features apart from just Content ID. And I think we should make it clear that Content ID is a very, very, very big business. There's billion dollars, billions of dollars being made each year through kind of very kind of passive claims, people uploading their assets and letting them fly. So maybe we'll get somebody to come and speak to us one day who is, you know, on the forefront of kind of monetizing content ID and uh, not necessarily talking about it from a a fair use point of view. But um, what other kind of things can you do with a CMS once you have one, Carlos? Content ID analytics is very uh, different. It's not different. It's all into one. So if you have a bunch of YouTube channels and a bunch of assets, it's not showing you the numbers from YouTube channels only. It's showing the numbers from the claims and a bunch of other channels. Like I'm looking at right now at a CMS where I'm seeing 10 million views a month. And that's actually considered small. When you have in a CMS, you can be generating, you know, hundreds of millions of views. One of the features that I absolutely adore that I don't think many people do is take advantage of a little feature called the campaign feature. Mm. This is a feature in Content ID that lets you create a little campaign that anybody who's uploaded your piece of content, that video will start getting a little pop-ups and saying, hey, you're watching my video. Why don't you come to my YouTube channel where I have the official video? So this can be a greatly effective to content owners who are building YouTube channels. Imagine having all of a sudden millions upon millions of impressions to drive a message for your content. And that's something I've used many times to, you know, whenever I've set up a channel for a client, or myself and know that there's a lot of piracy going on. And that's that's a great little feature that I don't believe many people are using that well. I love actually using that. It's actually pretty great. Yeah, it's definitely an underused feature. If you're a user, you'll notice it will usually appear as a card. It will say like recommended next, and it will be another video from that rights holder. And also there'll usually be a 
recommended video link in the description as well so that's always a good sign that yeah. you're, you're watching a video that's been claimed i've seen this drive like millions and millions of views it's very very commonly used in the kind of kids space if you're ever watching if your kids are ever watching some cartoons you'll notice this is quite commonly used there but generally you're right it's, it's definitely an underused tactic uh yeah and then there's another thing that uh, content owners can do is they can whitelist channels so meaning that you know if they're working with a bunch of partners and there's a bunch of other people uploading similar content but they're allowed to upload it there's a, an option there to put that youtube channel in a bucket and tell the content system not to pick up that youtube channel yeah it's called whitelisting your channel yeah can we talk a little bit more about the kind of structuring of how channels fit into a cms because it may not be totally obvious to people that don't have access to a cms so basically cms is kind of like a, a dashboard and underneath that it will have channels that belong to it and it kind of aggregates all of their analytics, collects their AdSense, but the channel still lives on in its own distinct entity. So if you're a, a channel manager, you may have access to that channel just as you would if it wasn't in your CMS, but it will have new options within it. So it will have new monetization and content ID policies that are selectable at the kind of video manager level. And also, just because you have access to a channel within a CMS doesn't automatically mean that you would then have access to the CMS. So you can have different user accounts, uh, different user levels. So you, when you have a CMS, you can grant people access to a single channel. You can give people admin access. You can set up custom roles so you can let people only see analytics but not see revenue. And you can also control what are the defaults for the channels within the CMS and also what capabilities different channels within the CMS have. So for example, I've been a manager of channels where the CMS owner has not let revenue be shown publicly to the channel owners or the channel managers. So the basic structure is that the CMS is like the container and the individual channels are rolled up into that container, but they still kind of exist independently of the CMS. Would that be a fair description, Carlos? Completely fair, yes. And at the same time, a CMS owner can have a channel in the CMS and have absolutely no access to the actual channel. But at the same time, a CMS owner can have channels in their CMS, but don't actually have access to the channel from a, you know, sort of like uploader level or a, you know, content level access to the channel. Yeah, so they wouldn't, for example, be able to go and like delete a video or, you know, schedule a video or change titles and thumbnails and tags uh, and stuff like that. Uh, actually, they could, but at the same time, they don't have like community uh, access. Would uh, community access? So you mean comments and stuff like that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they can do it from like a backdoor. Yeah way of, ch exactly. of changing it at kind of like an asset at an asset level yeah okay makes perfect sense okay so what other options and features would you have to you as a cms owner that you wouldn't as a let's just say regular channel owner um i would say the content delivery system is completely different like you can do it, do it much more on a almost like an excel spreadsheet you can claim content without even having the actual video files you can do this by uh, having said content owner let's just say 
X company bought the licensing and the rights to Y company's assets and they decided to do the transfer and they don't need to send a big hard drive at all the movies or the, or the TV shows. All they need to do is, is send the asset ID list in a, a CSV file yeah. and transfer ownership to... There's actually other ways to do it, but that's one way where all you need to do is upload that, that file, confirm those assets, and transfer them to your CMS. So it's it's a much faster way to, to do things versus having to re-upload all the videos, which can be huge when you're talking about uh, high-res television shows or, or movies and stuff like that. Yeah, and also if you do have, you know, if you are uploading original kind of video assets, then there are kind of like bulk upload and um, bulk update tools. So you can, you know, set a policy, like you say, in a CSV and upload like giant packages of data in one so you're not sitting there clicking one by one in the kind of typical web upload uh, user interface that you'd get if you were running the channel um one other kind of big benefit is that you you basically have eyeballs on a lot more data you can look at analytics across a whole group of channels and with that becomes the ability to say well look we you know we've got 50 channels here individually those channels may be worth x but if we can aggregate that and kind of we've you know we've got the data on all of that audience can we now go out and sell sponsorships across that whole audience or and i know we've touched on this in a in a separate episode can we buy our own ad inventory for those videos and then resell that you know especially if you've got a huge cms you know and this is what the those original MCNs were built on was this idea of getting lots of channels into a CMS and then selling that those ad rates for higher CPMs. So again, this is very, very tricky to do if you're not a really big kind of industry player with lots of resource. But theoretically, what you can do is aggregate all of the views within your CMS and then sell those to advertisers at a higher rate than you would if you were just getting AdSense that YouTube was selling directly. Yeah, I actually have no experience with that. I know it's happened, but all the CMSs I've managed have never been big enough to do that. Yeah, I've had I've had it done on kind of an ad hoc basis, so like one-off sponsorship buys, but wholesale inventory sales, you know, you're looking at a technical cost, technical knowledge that is needed, you know, a pretty much full-time sales team. So if you go back to episode three, um, me and Carlos talk a lot more in detail about the history of MCNs and this whole kind of uh, this path to selling your own ad inventory. So do check that out. One other thing that I wanted to talk about is that nowadays I think YouTube is making a move towards favoring channels that seem official. Yes. And so I believe that if your channel sits within a CMS, you do have some kind of advantage over a channel that doesn't sit in a CMS. So whether that is an algorithmic boost, YouTube's algorithm looking at your channel, seeing that it's part of a CMS and saying, okay, you know, they're a trusted partner. This must be official. Uh, Let's send people that way. And then also you're getting the boost that if the proverbial crap hits the fan, if you're part of a CMS, you're much more likely to have a direct relationship with YouTube or the person that's controlling the CMS is much more likely to have a direct relationship with YouTube to kind of get you out of a a mess. So 
there is definitely an advantage of being part of a CMS, even if you're not really kind of industry side. But having said that, to be part of a CMS, you're likely going to have to give up some control control or equity. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's somebody, you're adding somebody to manage your stuff and also collect the money, right? And there's a process there. There's It's complicated because... It's complicated and it's not because on one end, somebody who has a CMS, when the report comes in at the end of the month, they don't split the money per channel. You know, you get a big bulk sum of money. The owner needs to export the reports and work through these huge CSV files that have thousands and thousands of lines and sort out, you know, the money per asset, per content owner and all that things and sort of figure out, okay, well, I got $10,000 this month out of, you know, 15 channels, which channels got their cut and then split out that money and then, uh, you know, do that stuff. And, you know, bigger companies have figured out a way to do this, but at the end of the day, there's even like software needed to do that. So, you know, when it gets really, really big, when I was at my old job, you know, we actually had to hire somebody to just full-time do that. And it would take them a couple of days just to figure out all the, all the money and all the CMS is based on the amount of channels we had. Yeah. And on the flip side of that, if you're a CMS owner and you're inviting channels into your CMS, you're kind of at the mercy of their behavior (laughs) because if they go out and start getting copyright strikes or community strikes, that will impact on potentially on the the standing of your entire CMS. If you could get potentially features temporarily suspended, features removed, or worst case, you know, have your CMS kind of taken back. So you really do need to be careful about who you're letting into your CMS if you are a a CMS owner. But speaking of this, this is maybe my most interesting question, Carlos, is how do you get a CMS? (laughs) (laughs) That's the magical question. uh, Because I'm trying to get one. It's proving, I'd say, impossible. And for everyone else that I speak to that's in the same boat, they're saying the same exact thing. They're saying it, it seems to be really hard it seems to be getting harder and it seems like youtube are even kind of taking back quite a lot of cms's does this kind of marry up to what you're hearing on your side of the pond completely the cms things i would say you know when i got into this business was a much more of a wild west your youtube rep would give you one pretty easily you'd ask for one maybe he'd ask you for two questions why and you could come up with anything and you know they'd give it to you but nowadays you need to show that you have control of a lot of assets essentially that's the gist of it for me i have access to a bunch of cmss i don't essentially own a bunch of cmss i have access from companies that don't have the resources to manage them themselves and they want me to sort of do it for them at the end of the day from the conversations we've had with YouTube, it's YouTube just wants to talk to official owners and companies at this point. They do not want to talk to individuals. They might give CMSs to big YouTube creators who are multiplying their channels, who are adding more variations and all that sort of stuff, but they want to discourage the whole MCN thing because of the abuse. They want to, you know, work with official companies. There's still a lot of bad players out there that are on an underground or 
and playing quiet, at the end of the day, YouTube has made it harder and harder to sort of access one. And you essentially need to know somebody at YouTube and know your rep and start asking the questions. I don't know if you know, but there is an online content ID application. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, but I've gone through it and I usually get crickets, <laughs> you know, trying to trying to get one. So, so not even a, a response of any kind. Yeah, exactly. I think they just like see if like, oh, they, they check you out and there's like, oh, it's not even worth replying to. So yeah. the conversations I've had with my local YouTube rep is like, okay, what, what kind of content you got? If I don't have like, you know, thousands or hundreds, I, again, there's no specific number that they share, but you need to have a lot lot of assets in front of them to say, hey, you know, I manage or I own all these pieces of TV content, movie content, and we want to control the piracy. Around. And also you have to prove that there's piracy. Yeah. If there's no piracy, they're going to be like, well, wh- why do you need one? You don't need one. There's no, nobody's pirating this stuff. So yeah, it, it's become extremely hard. Again, it's, it's one of those things where people have abused it. If people hadn't abused it and had used it the way it was supposed to be used, things would be a lot easier. But nowadays, it just want to work with legit companies who own who own content. Yeah, just to echo that, I, I recently managed to corner a YouTube employee at a, at a party, and I said to them, "Look, how do I get one? You know, I'm working with some big content owners that don't have access. They don't necessarily want to join an MCN or an agency." And he basically said, the first thing you need to do is to do kind of manual DMCA takedowns to prove, like you say, to prove that there is a need, a business need for you to have one. Um, And so that's probably, you're going to need to do that for a sustained period of time. So just like a manual uh, copyright flag uh, as a normal YouTube user. And once you have enough of those and kind of put that into a bit of an evidence file, and then send that over to someone at YouTube again, if you can. Maybe we can link to that online application in the show notes today, Carlos. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that means yes. So yeah, I think that you know that pretty much ties up our conversation on CMS and content ID. In short, they're really, really powerful and really, really hard to get. But you know, they do take some expertise to to look after. You know, they are big, powerful tools with lots of features. But um, even if you've got no intention of having one, I think it's really important that you know how they work, especially if you're any kind of content owner or rights holder. So yes, before we wrap up, we must say thank you to our amazing sponsor, TubeBuddy. And again, you can find out more about them and get a unique Video Insiders discount by visiting www.videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy. Thank you, TubeBuddy. And also, if you do have any more questions that we didn't answer concerning the whole world of content managers, CMSs, tweet at us at, at Video Insiders and we'll do our best to answer. I do know that YouTube does not like people talking too much about this stuff. So we'll figure out ways to talk about this, not publicly. Yes. And um, again, also, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show. What other topics would you like us to discuss? What did you think about our first interview show last week? Who else would you like to hear us speak to? So tweet us at Video Insiders or email us at hello at videoinsiders.fm. And please share this episode and leave us rating and review in whatever podcast Podcatcher you are using because it will help other video insiders to discover us. Yes, it will help our analytics. 
<laughs> Please tweet at Carlos to let him know he's grossly mispronouncing that word. Yes, I know. Until next time, have a great week. Take care.